0: Welcome to Men in this Town, the podcast. I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, and for over a decade, I've been photographing men's street style in various towns around the world, looking for those whose dress sense speak volumes about who they are. In this podcast, I take a closer look at those men by bringing them into the studio for a portrait and having a chat about the particular approach to the many facets of life. In this episode, I welcome Jack Phillips to the studio a journalist-turned-content-maker that now calls Sydney home. Having grown up in East London via Essex in the late 90s and early 2000s, football and lad culture seemed to be the only way to relate. Shaved heads and puma tracksuits were the uniform, and footballers like David Beckham were the inspiration. Like many of us, it took heading out to university for Jack to see what else was out there and work out who he wanted to be. After some experimental haircuts and the discovery of Topshop, it was his first job at Monocle Magazine where he saw what a life of style could truly look like, but it would take a bit of effort to get there. Head over to meninthistown.com to view selects from our portrait session. And In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the conversation that took place. All right, we'll start off Jack with uh, introducing yourself. Okay. Name, age and what you do for a living.
1: It's nice that you want you want the bio. Yes. <laughs> my um my name is Jack Phillips. Um I am I still have to count up from eighteen. So it just takes me longer every year to work out <laughs> my age. I'm thirty three years old. Um I am originally from London, um, now living in Sydney and um I suppose I have a kind of a I'm I'm a journalist by trade and a content maker. By job now.
0: What uh, was life like growing up in London?
1: It was kind of interesting because I was, I was, uh, I'm originally from uh, a part of East London called Walthamstow, which is kind of quite cool and trendy now. It's just next to kind of Shoreditch area. Um, Oh,
0: okay.
1: But it wasn't so cool when I was younger. It was, Mm. um, Shoreditch was kind of the cool place to be in. Walthamstow was the, the shithole.
0: More um, north or? No,
1: it's just east. It's just east, literally okay. the, the, a little bit further out of London. So it's like two stops on the central line. It's right. kind of one of that thing. You just, you, yeah, you got Liverpool Street, which is kind of classed as the Middle East in terms of it kind of still being central London, but yeah, the eastern yeah. part. And then you just follow the central line out. <laughs> um, and then my family kind of moved um, moved out towards uh, Essex Way. So we were kind of on the fringe of London. So I kind of did a bit of both. So East London, and then kind of suburbia, which has now been made kind of famous by a reality TV show called yes. The Only Way Is Essex. <laughs> so I kind of had a bit of a...
0: Does it kind of, of live up to the reputation of... Man, <laughs>
1: I, lived, I lived in the holy triangle. I can't, <laughs> when the first season came out, we were, we were at school. We would just left school. I think I was probably at university, and I, I saw there was just all these kids that I went to school with. That I was mm-hmm. like, this is random. I think it was one of the... It was the first kind of TV show of its ilk, yeah. So now it's kind of run of the mill. There's a million shows that kind of follow the same thing. But it was this thing that was kind of half scripted, half not scripted, real people that exaggerated lives. So it kind of felt a bit real f- from a viewer perspective. But you see them driving down the road and then they would turn left into their house. And I'm like, that's a 25-minute drive.
0: Yeah, yeah, They've just
1: cut that. Um, you know, they go to nightclubs at 9 a.m. in the day <laughs> to, like, pretend. But it was the real nightclub. So it was kind of an interesting place because it was uh, – yeah, it has a very particular kind of culture. So yeah. you get the East London accent. It's very thick, very heavy, but it's very, like, kind of blingy. New money. Yeah. yeah. So um, you used to wear everything. There was no such thing. So it was my uh, my partner's from North London, so it was all very understated. You'd kind of wear Converse and you wouldn't wear any of your cash. Whereas if you owned, you know, if you had £12 in your pocket,
0: mm.
1: you, uh, you had a £15 bangle on to show it, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing.
0: So what I guess what was the influence like when you were growing up as a kid going to school? What was that like? What kind of things were you interested in?
1: Sport was always a big thing. Football mm. cultures was, you know, sort of 90s football culture was a big thing. So that kind of uh, weaved its way through just how you met people in terms of you met people playing yeah. sport. You met people playing football. Um, all my friends play. Even if you weren't very good at football, you still played football, you still talked about football. It's like the centralising anchor for society. Mm. So you go to the pub, had nothing to talk about. What's your common ground? What team do you support? So it's similar here with the AFL or rugby. It's one of those um, kind of things, which is kind of interesting if you've got a a broader interest. It takes a while to kind of find those people, you know, kind of get out of it. It's usually if you're getting out of Essex in order to kind of find – Find your vibe, yeah. and did you play people. as well? Yeah, I played. I've been. Mean, we all played, man. It was one of those <laughs> things. is like we're all some sort of semi-pro, could have made it but didn't. If only we didn't have dodgy knees. Yeah. Yeah, like half of your friends kind of did make it. Um, so yeah, sport was a was a big thing, and, and and it kind of was prevalent through you know the fashion and everything we wore. So we had all that nineties. Yeah, Football, like with both our ears pierced, shaved heads, but then we'd <laughs> wear like, you know, Puma tracksuits, but there'd be brand spanking you and socks over the tracksuit bottoms and be so stuff now that's kind of called the, the nuanced lad culture that's kind of back in fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or like Chav culture, which is you don't really have, it's not really called Chav culture here, but ch- that, that sort of like really working class and yeah. proud of it. Everything's kind of crystal and like flat Puma tracksuits.
0: And that's uh, like an interesting kind of introduction to fashion, isn't it? Where you don't necessarily think about it at the time, but the sports culture definitely has an influence on kind of what you wear. And especially now, like you see that kind of older now looking at the kids doing it the same way. I wonder if it is actually the sports that influence it now, or if it's more kind of, I don't know, the the celebrity sports culture (laughs) that kind of influences. Yeah, it's
1: an interesting thing. Is sort of writing about these kinds of things a bit later on in life from a, from a men's fashion style point of view. Mm. Um, it was all referential. So it was kind of this like looking back with rose-tinted glasses mm, kind of look. Yeah. So at the time, it wasn't, I mean, when you were 11, 12, 13, it wasn't a, 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 a fashion choice that you were trying to align with these group of people. It's just what everybody wore. So that's what you wore because you yeah. didn't really, because the, the, the other angle was counterculture. So it was like the kids that are into grunge, and they were called grungers mm. and they'd wear like baggy trousers. So they're the ones that really wanted to stand out. And from my perspective, everybody else was just wanting to kind of blend in with the mass markets. And so, you know, Oasis were, you know, yeah. top of the <laughs> stereophonics. So it was all kind of like semi bandy. Um, and then the other part of that would have been the kind of garage culture in, in London in, in the nineties as well, which again was very blingy. So it was kind of a merge of house music and hip hop. But again, through the prism of footballers as well, because, yeah. you know, David Beckham used yeah, to go to all right. these nightclubs and all these different like musicians.
0: That's peak David Beckham that time. Peak yeah, David yeah. Beckham. We're
1: talking frosted tips. <laughs> We're talking he's kind of wearing skirts every now and then. He's dating a Spice Girl. <laughs> he's just bought a, a castle um, somewhere in the middle of England because he's <laughs> one of the most <laughs> famous football stars at the time. Yeah, he was, um, and yeah, that was, that was probably one of the, I said, it would have been what, like early 2000s, yeah. I'd say, probably by that point.
0: So when did you, your personal style kind of slowly start to uh, evolve from that?
1: So it was always, just, uh, I suppose, I was always interested in sort of the creative arts. So mm. I did graphic design and art and I read a lot and was very interested in, in in writing and literature and so I suppose when I went to university I decided that I was going to study games design because I was like oh how games, do you yeah. how do you get creative but then also have a potential like a good job at the end of it
0: That's the so difficult <laughs> yeah so I was like
1: oh kind of games design kind of like the idea that's super creative it's very aesthetic. How, how wrong I was. So mm. I went to university, first first lesson, they're like, so anybody that's done advanced mathematics will find this very easy. I'm oh like, God. I'm out, yeah. I'm out, I'm out. So I went immediately and just went into a fine art degree. So I went into an art history degree. And so I suppose just being around artists, yeah. aspiring artists, creatives, you ended up – and also getting outside of London and I went to study in Kent which is much more of a diverse melting mm. pot. people. University is a big thing for a lot of people as well, I suppose, in that sense of having different music days, different people, and you kind of having the opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself in, in such a way.
0: Was it a shock for you to kind of go into a whole new kind of environment like that? Or did you kind of, you know, really want it? So you kind of yeah, jumped I, into it?
1: I'd say it was a welcome shock for sure. Mm. A welcome shock in the sense, I mean, it wasn't, shocking in any it wasn't like i'd suddenly moved to uzbekistan (laughs) and i didn't have the language and the culture was different it's kind of just one of those things which i think is it's it's way more nuanced than that it's just it epitomized being 18 and from a particular area Hmm. and then being put into another scenario with people from other areas and everybody trying to work out who they are
0: yeah
1: um, because your, your pecking order's completely changed. There's no people you know above you, people you know below you. You don't know anybody um, unless you had people that went to the, you know, the same school that kind of went yeah. there. So it was good. It was nice. I, I, liked, I really liked the, the, the kind of chance to really sort of delve into different areas. You know, we just, I think I had four haircuts in six months. <laughs> and I think Top Man was the big thing at the time. So Top Shop um, was very cool. So it was like it's what everybody was kind of wearing. So it was affordable fashion, but they had these brightly coloured block tees, and you know I kind of grew up wearing very low slung t-shirts and things. It was all kind of very, (laughs) very chesty. I still am quite chesty in a lot of ways. Yeah, lots of yeah, (laughs) lots of sort of like prepubescent, like hairless chests and fake tan, um, and open shirts. You never know that you'd never wear out your top buttons.
0: There because go. they were
1: never done up they still aren't now to be fair um
0: there were two calls. yeah it's
1: yeah, yeah, yeah i just had to move countries to there make it go. relevant um yeah and so it was a it was yeah it was an interesting in kind of place to be in and kind of grow up for, to, for a second stage i suppose
0: and how did it kind of get to where it is now and what how would you describe your style right now
1: Oh, it's it changed a lot because I i suppose I went from sort of studying art history and being creative in a practical sense. So I used mm. to co- kind of make work as well as write about artworks. And then I wanted to become a journalist because at the time it was like it was a, a, a same sort of thing. It was an environmental change in the sense I kind of wanted to be an artist or I wanted to be uh, a, an art writer.
0: Right, okay.
1: But it was the height of the GFC. The first thing that goes is the art market. And there's literally Uh, three publications in the entirety of the UK that write exclusively about artwork. And if you try and write for a newspaper, you've got people like, you know, Sexton, who works for uh, who's literally been exclusively the art writer for the Guardian for like 40 years so you're literally just, you're aiming for three jobs in the entire country, which during you the it's such a big
0: break. Yeah, such a big country, yet still limited kind of jobs I mean, there. There's
1: a passion thing. So you can go and write for the equivalent of, you know, like the Brag or, you know, these different publications that kind of write about artwork, but you're not really going to get paid um, a career salary. It's mm-hmm. more of a passion point. Um, and so I ended up moving into lifestyle, like men's lifestyle or, or just lifestyle in general um, and started working for Monocle.
0: Um, what was that like? I'm a, I'm a fanboy, of Monocle. So it's yeah. like, that's kind of one of the, the things, um, that a lot of people would like, wow, that's an amazing kind of position to be in. What did you do there exactly?
1: So I started, I started as an intern. So I, I, I was lucky enough to have a hookup and they what made, year was that? That would have been 2009. Okay. I'm guessing 2009. When did I graduate? Oh, no, no, no! It would have been 2010.
0: It's harder and harder. Than oh god, yeah. <laughs> it, was two, it was
1: 2010 because I was I was trying to find internships. all over the, so I was interning. I interned with an artist called Leanna Lang, who's quite well known in Europe. She was she was incredible. So I was kind of like an artist assistant. I was working for my cousin in Tottenham fixing Hoover's and Henry like Henry Hoover's um, cleaning machines and floor yeah, buffers yeah. just to make some cash. And he gave me a free van so I could drive around in, like, like just trying to make your way. And then I'd go off and do internships did a couple of newspapers, um, and then I got a hookup through for, for my uh, my partner's dad, who knew the executive producer of Monaco. It's always who you know. And she kind of got me in the ground floor. And I turned up to my interview in, like, a, a black, ill-fitting top man suit with white socks <laughs> on and a pair of, like, really pointy winkle pickers, which That's became thing, a running that... joke after, like, years <laughs> later when I was, Speaking to people there, they're like, Yeah, if this guy turned up, because usually it would be the son or the daughter of an ambassador Mm. from somewhere who's wearing exclusively like acne or some sort of Japanese brand. They, you know, from Colombia, live in Belgravia and speak twelve languages. Right. And there's yeah. me who's like, Jesus! It's taking me about forty-five <laughs> minutes to get on the train. It's a bloody nightmare.
0: And you're wearing top man And I'm wearing top men. <laughs> I yeah. mean, which at the time was probably, you know, top for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's just
1: one of the. It's, I suppose it's just a product of where you're from and, yeah. and the price point that you work at from a fashion perspective. But I suppose from a monocle perspective, that kind of really introduced me to probably just in terms of different types, you know, berena jackets and deconstructed blazers, just because that's kind of the vibe. It's an independent publication that was very, very much um, led by um, a a journalist and a publisher called Tyler Brulé. He's still the publisher now. And he has a very, very, very particular type of aesthetic and way that he approaches everything that he does, which was super interesting because you knew him. It Mm. wasn't, uh, it wasn't like going to a, being part of a magazine where it was owned by a conglomerate and there was a board and the style was dictated by whoever the fashion editor was mm-hmm. at the time. It was very much an, a, a kind of uh, physical version of his take on life.
0: And did you know that going in? Hell no, I didn't even no. know what Monocle was. Yeah, I was wondering. No cause idea. Because it, it would have been early days It just there. looked like a
1: magazine that looked like it kind of took itself quite seriously. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that, that kind of looks good. Oh, they talk about international affairs. There's a bit of art in there as well. I kind of had this idea that I'd go in and the... The uh, the culture editor at the time was a guy called Rob Bound, and I was like, oh, I'll just go and woo him, and he'll just give me like twenty five pages a month, and I'll just go and write about whatever I want to write about, and I'll just go to LA and or do art bars or
0: <laughs> yeah, like good confidence kind oh, of. Oh yeah, yeah, go
1: in, go in, dick swinging for sure.
0: <laughs> so I, that obviously then had a huge influence on you, and kind of a huge another culture shock for yourself, and kind of thinking that, you know, you were interning at different magazines and kind of getting that impression. But then you go to this holy grail of magazine publishing. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was kind of funny. And it was also one of those things where they were growing rapidly. So when I first got there, there was like 22 people that kind of worked for the magazine mainly. There was different bureaus and different people that worked kind of around the world. But London mm-hmm. was the main hub. And then when I left, there was like over 100, which doesn't seem like tons and tons. But for a ma- in the Four years that I was there grew rapidly. But also, I was there working... I think I'd worked there for... After I'd done my internship and they'd offered me a job.
0: What was, was the job that you um, I was
1: a studio engineer. Mm-hmm. So, they'd just launched a radio station called Monocle 24. And so, we were kind of trying to do similar things to this. So, we were making podcasts. And this was obviously early days for podcasts as well. So, you know, setting up streaming services. People weren't really understanding kind of what they are, or mm-hmm. what they were about. We were trying to make magazine-style shows. So... I was working on a food show called The Menu, which was presented by a very nice Finnish guy called Markus Oh, I know that name. I know that boy. He's still there. <laughs> He's one of my favourite people in the entire world. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 it was it was it was so much fun because there was like three or four very just really interested people from all over the world. We went. I think I went to. We went to and did the um, produced a show in bangkok during the world economic forum there was three of us and we wanted to go and produce three hour long current affairs news radio shows Mm. i think we were 21 22 and i think marcus would have been 28 something like that and we're driving around in tuk-tuks in bangkok trying to find studios that aren't rented out which of course they were because the world economic forum at the same time every year and people like the bbc cnn they book out all the studios so we ended up finding this random TV studio that was like well out in the sticks, having them rebuild it into this kind of like radio studio Mm -hmm. and then bust these kind of highfalutin serious guests out. And so it was amazing. It was was an amazing opportunity to try and make things Mm -hmm. um, with people that were smart and interested and not really having a route map to do it. And uh, by contrast, I had some friends that were working at the BBC where it's very... You know, you do this for eighteen months, and then you do this for six months, right. and then it, you know it's very much structured. Whereas I was going, you know, I kind of got the opportunity to go in and go. I'm gonna. We produced a radio show from, from the top of San Moritz in like minus twenty degrees oh temperature my God. outside a hotel, and we were like during over Christmas. So we were like working over Christmas and New Year. It was insane. It was like it was such a fantastic opportunity to just see what you can do, mm. just with with passion, drive, and Google.
0: God. And that's that, I mean, it seems like it had that startup vibe and all hands on deck and kind of do what you can and kind of you, you work for yourself and kind of working your way up into it. Where did it eventually lead you to uh, at Monocle?
1: So I I ended up become the, I was uh, the studio manager, I think when I, when I, when I kind of left Um, and I was kind of helping to run that radio station element of it so I worked with a lot of the engineers I, I produced a couple of shows weekly shows worked a lot with the programming, the music um it's kind of evolved massively since. and then I moved to Australia mainly mainly just because I'd got such a taste for traveling at that point and I was mm. like
0: oh I'm at, yeah I really <laughs> wanted to I
1: really wanted to just kind of go and live somewhere else had you been here yet or so I had so I'd, I'd produced a radio show for oh, I can't even remember who it was for Monocle so but we came here I think we I left on a Monday morning and I landed back in London on Saturday. And in that time we did two radio shows in Melbourne, two radio shows in Sydney and a radio show in Brisbane and a book. Book and a book open and honestly I think I slept I was I was so confused by the time I got back. Another great example of a a Monaco Whirlwind (laughs) trip. We're gonna go to Australia and back three cities and be back within five days. Oh my god. That'd be insane. Exhausting. It was great. Um, but but I kind of got um, I was very lucky to kind of get a big quick whistle stop tour of Australia. And for yeah, a, guy, a guy that hadn't really been yeah. outside of Spain before he went to uh, went to work, I, you know, suddenly went to Brazil, Thailand and Australia for, for Monaco within like two years time. Um, so I moved here and I was going to take a year off and kind of write some stuff, do some freelance bits. and body Had you something. been
0: writing much? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So the good thing about Monocle is Monocle is, is an ecosystem. So even though you work in one area, you contribute to as many areas as yeah. you kind of hope to. So I was writing for the magazine in various different um, guises. I um, used to work on, the, there was a creative agency uh, that was kind of attached that ran separately called Win Creative. And sometimes you'd work on small bits for them as well. Uh, Monocle was a big proponent of branded content, which is now kind of prevalent yeah. throughout all of publishing. Um, but at the time it was kind of still very small, still not really, it was still very much a, a case of church and state with, mm. with regards to magazines and how they work with advertisers. Um, so it was, a, it, that, that company was a huge foundation, had a huge foundational element for me on terms of how it, that progressed on to them being at GQ um, in Australia here.
0: What was it about Australia that kind of attracted you and think, I mean, you could have gone anywhere. Why Australia? It's um uh, probably
1: if I'm being honest, it was because there's the lifestyle element that was kind of very attracted to me so there was the being able to be by the sea
0: and have your open shirts have my
1: open <laughs> shirts it was sunny I could get a tan yeah you can do things like go for a walk in the morning and like wave at dolphins mm. which is just ridiculous <laughs> you're like oh there's a pot of dolphins out there how annoying I can't see the seals you know like ridiculous things oh look there's a whale breaching
0: there you go. just
1: ridiculous things like that um but also it's quite easy obviously because English is the is yeah. the first yeah. language mm. workings quite easy there's a you can there's a visa situation so for uh, when i when i moved here at 20 uh, 24 with my partner it kind of seemed like an, a very exotic destination that was a pretty easy leap mm. um it's just the distance that really kind of makes it a bigger thing than perhaps maybe it is uh, culturally
0: for example oh absolutely i think it's i mean i'm from canada and just the comparisons are there but has its unique thing and it's warmer, you know? Mm. So it's like definitely somewhere I didn't see myself kind of coming to, but I don't know. Once you're here, you get a taste for it and kind of,
1: and it's definitely got that, um, that opportunistic vibe to it. Um, Mm. again, got friends in London who are a, a journalist and various different, um, different types of professionals within the creative industry and it's very hard to make a buck in London there are so many talented people that are willing to work so long hours and Mm. do whatever it takes to get to the top Um, and I just feel like there's a bit more of an opportunity here to kind of build things make markets it's a it's a it's an example market Australia so there's a lots of brands um, and businesses internationally that come over here to kind of trial products uh, trial advertising campaigns and so you, if if you kind of work in that creative um, area you get access to some of these big brands at quite low risk mm. um so Rob you know you could you could be a relatively small creative unit here and potentially do a, a, a an advertising campaign for Adidas
0: yeah right I think I try do that, that in London no yeah. chance <laughs> it's I think that I don't know Australia really is that young country and it's kind of those opportunities do seem to be available and especially now with COVID have happening, it's like there's still even more opportunity to kind of come in compared to a lot of cities where they're just closed down. Yeah. So take advantage of that. <laughs> it? I mean, like even
1: just at the moment, just in terms of the way that the, the film industry is working and it's just been completely mm. decentralized awesome. from, from, um, from Hollywood in the U S and the West and the East coasts. And th- I think if you walk around Bondi at the moment or Byron or pick your, Mm. pick your famous australian spot it's literally like wandering around la cuz there are so many people here that are making things yep. films, adverts, commercials, uh, documentaries
0: even um, there were uh, the guest that i had um terrell who was uh, the first guest for the podcast he's an american and he filmed an american game show here and they were looking for americans as well so it's like an american game show is being filmed in Australia, which is kind of insane to think about. Yeah, it's completely mental, isn't it? Anyways, so what was your first job when you actually got here? What did you kind of get into?
1: Um, so I was I was I, I was immediately freelance. So I used to kind of work for everybody. I wrote for um, I wrote for broadsheet. I wrote for uh, the Guardian. I wrote for um, Yahoo Seven at the time, which was when Yahoo had a news partnership agreement with Channel Seven. So I used to right, do some yeah. things for them. Um, i also wrote for vice quite a lot i wrote for um, oh god what was it called it was another paper public flavor pill um, which was like another timey out kind of thing that was mm-hmm. an international uh, brand um, i was writing for monocle um i did a few pieces for GQ back in but british GQ um, and i was kind of just gigging around really just kind of Trying to find my find my way and find my feet. Australia is a very expensive country to live in if Uh, you're not earning Australian dollars. So, the um, yeah, it's kind of hard to earn international dollars and then spend them in Australia, for example.
0: Absolutely, it's yeah. You need to be kind of working here. You need to be kind of working here. So then
1: I took a uh, yeah. Then I worked at Channel Seven for um, a few months,
0: and eventually led to GQ Australia, which I guess would have been another. Big fashion influence for yourself and in the workplace. What was that like? Kind of, what was the role there?
1: It was an interesting one. Yeah. So I, 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 I was the digital editor there when I started, and it was still kind of a small. It was kind of on a growth period when I kind of started there. They were kind of trying to push more and more into digital from a publications perspective.
0: Did you expect yourself to go into? It seems like you've done a lot of digital stuff, even though you probably at at the beginning thought print magazine but everything led to digital. I tried my hardest
1: to get to print magazines. Yeah. It was like, it was, like it, was, it was so funny because at the time it, it, it felt like you were being pushed into like, I oh, will put you in the digital thing. Cause you're like, oh, I'll just do my time in the digital thing mm. before they put me into print. And now it's completely flipped and now oh, it's fun. everything digital first. <laughs> and, and at the, yeah, at the time so it was It was an advantage,
0: like, it's good, isn't it? Well,
1: what was so funny is that because I kind of did all these little satellite roles and worked in different things that were, you know, kind of small teams and small pockets, I ended up learning how to edit things on Final Cut Pro, mm. produce and write video. Or even if it was short documentaries, um, I can edit in auditions. So I could make and produce radio shows. I became a bit, I was a journalist, so Massive I could write skills for now, isn't it? So it's now it's yeah. literally I could if I wanted to, I could, I could shoot a basic video. I'd more likely be able to edit the video than shoot it, for example. But yeah, and make podcasts, make writing, and you can make you can pretty much execute entire digital campaigns holistically Mm. with one skill set, which is so rare to be able to do that today.
0: It's an amazing thing. I mean, I could work with more people, but I tend to do everything myself because it's just, I've taken on all these skills and kind of the whole digital realm and I enjoy it. It's the creative process and, All they are to me are different tools, you know, Mm. to kind of be creative and kind of produce something interesting, you know.
1: And it's nice because you have different facets of one. So rather than looking at something as I'm going to make a a podcast, Mm. you're creating an environment so you can turn a camera on Mm. and know that I can shoot some videos for this. I might pull some stills off the back of it that I can then grade because you can use Lightroom and then you can use that as the tiles for when you upload your podcast to insert your streaming service of choice mm. then you can put that onto the website you can use it for Facebook paid advertising if you're going to do CPC ad, you know there's so many things that you can kind of do and understanding all those facets make I think makes you better at each one of them as well because they're Absolutely, more informed
0: yeah. I think it's also for me and I'm sure yourself as well it's that we were kids of the beginning of the internet so it was such a massive cultural thing that came into our worlds, and we were just so interested about learning and it's you know, places like YouTube and websites and stuff like that were places for us to easily pick up these skills and always want to learn about it. Where I think it, that probably even maybe stops at a certain point now with look like the um, current generation where uh, everything's limited to just being on the phone. So are they even able to use a computer or a proper editing suite, you know, or are they going to need to know that? I don't know. It's something that's, are you going to be able to just edit a whole video or a whole movie on your phone eventually? And we will be out of it and they'll be into it. It's,
1: it's interesting it because the, for me as as someone who's now, um, I, I now uh, I left UQ in two thousand and eighteen, and then I started. A, I had my own content production company mm-hmm. where we basically create branded content for brands and publishers, but we specifically focus on short format content, so, advert TV's uh, TVCs, um, social content and programming, which is what we're pushing more and more into at the moment. So, things like um, did you did you ever see Quibi? Oh, yeah, Ameri- yeah, yeah. So Quibi that which, which was this huge blow up combust blew up company in the what US. What a
0: story! Yeah.
1: Fantastic. It was <laughs> had like a billion dollar valuation. Is now like you can pick it up for twenty cents. It's um, and, but they basically championed making five minute episodes mm. um, for, for very serious travel shows, food shows, and that's Hollywood got, style. Hollywood style, well. and they brought on some big names to like host things or produce things and rappers and sophie turner jonas brothers mm. and ch- through all this money at kind of branding this platform it never quite worked but th- th- i think the concept is pretty sound in the sense that people are looking for kind of short format things that are really well produced and that say something and what's funny is traditionally you would look for talent for hosting talent from broadcasters because they have a funnel for teaching people how to be on camera mm. and understanding you know camera left camera right just and also just knowing how to ask a question because they have journalistic properties we're looking at youtube we're scrolling through youtube looking at youtubers going this person has a natural affinity for telling stories mm-hmm. is obviously interested because they cut shoot and edit everything themselves and they they're just they're bombastic and they kind of understand um they understand this kind of modern or th- this current drive and urge for content and storytelling in a new way. So it's it's kind of an interesting, but it's funny because it still makes me feel a bit old sometimes because I'm so like, I'm not the, I'm not the TikTok generation. No. I like, I like something that's kind of a, 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 t- a sense of editing. Mm hmm. I like, I like someone's about this, is even if it's scripted or unscripted, but there's a structure to it and a, a level of professional execution against a little things. bit more polish. Yeah. And I like that. And I, and I, I can see the value of the of the kind of TikTok thing, but it kind of just, I don't fall into TikTok holes because it kind of <laughs> just goes straight over my head. Um, but it is kind of interesting seeing how things have moved on into those, that there was some areas that skips me yeah and there are some creators that you know i've met along the way that are 13 14 years old that, yeah man they're shooting and editing. the funny thing is that iphones now are almost as good as professional grade cameras
0: oh my god i mean the stuff you can do with it is well, we insane. stick we
1: we now use iphones as gopros we mm. stick iphones on things to to capture raw and hd video it's it's actually insane and for 1500 bucks the equivalent would be 20 grand yeah
0: no absolutely and Producing it in Dolby vision and sound as well now with the new ones it's kind of insane so you you mentioned you started uh, your own company called snackable snackable media what kind of encouraged you to kind of go into that direction
1: it's prob- like, probably like anything that I've done or anything you've done it feels like an evolution and natural aggression to doing things and so I'd spent time in an independent publishing house kind of learning a trade craft and then I'd spent more time in a more corporate publishing house via News Corp and GQ um, and, and had a lot of exposure to much more from a commercial angle in terms of campaigns and creating projects for brands or in collaboration with brands. Um, and it just kind of felt like somewhere where I wanted to push where it was didn't have to be through the prism of one publishing house so mm. for example GQ. Um, it, it wanted to create things directly with brands, wanted to push more into programming, um, and you know I wanted that entrepreneurial aspect of being able to create and build something that was intrinsically mine um as well um and and kind of bring to, I was quite lucky i say lucky it wasn't it wasn't really luck. I'd built a great network of creatives that I used to work with a lot, and I kind of wanted to do that more so mm. I wanted to work with directors and videographers and sound designers and musicians and actors and real real people in needverted kind uh commas to kind of create things more and be more out of the boardroom and more kind of on set and on location, trying to create stuff that didn't exist.
0: Mm. You liked to be kind of hands-on from the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, probably to to a
1: fault. I was talking to a producer the other day who's going to come on and work on a project, and she was like, you sound like you're a bit of a control freak. (laughs) I'm like, I kind of, but like... Not really. I just, I, just I, don't, I enjoy it so much that it's hard to like hand off. I
0: hear I'll give you. you. The ha- I I'll give you
1: the paperwork. But <laughs> when you're talking about location scanning, I want to go. Oh, so it's it's kind of an interesting, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, um, it's an, it, yeah, it's an interesting move as well because we have, there's different facets to what we create. So there's like really product driven heavy TVCs, which could be about an app or you know, a, a, some sort of banking loan or an insurance company, which are much straighter. Um, which are, can have be almost as fun as shooting a fashion campaign, mm. um, which had s- sometimes looser uh, creative restrictions, yeah, shall yeah. we say, in terms of you can make things spin and you can be a bit more cinematography, uh, cinematography about it. You, know, you can get these epic wides and stuff, whereas with product it's like, is the iPhone, you know, is the iPhone perfectly aligned <laughs> to the product that we're talking about? <laughs> right. Should we get a different tap? on yeah. the phone I think we should get some variations of the tap <laughs> and should we swipe up or swipe down mm, I'm not sure let's get both just in case so we have room in edit you know things yeah, like that yeah, it's yeah. kind of a different thing
0: all those details yeah there. Jeez. so uh, having your own thing and having your own business I, I find it for myself my mind is always kind of on and kind of in business mode and there's never really a stop where do you manage to kind of have your free time what, what do you do when it's kind of a little bit more downtime and not thinking about work what do you get up to
1: I do like working. Yeah. So that's the thing. Mm. So I do enjoy making myself busier than probably I need to. I'm not very good at being slow and just go, Oh, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a slow day. I'm mm. like, no, nah. I like my day to be filled with stuff. Like even if it's like errands, like I'm gonna do an errand day. Yeah. Um but I, I I like I like being outside, I like doing things like you know I'm a man of many hobbies, you know spear guns and spear guns spear honestly spear gun, <laughs> spear fishing because you live by, I live by the sea as well and i've got friends that kind of do different things and you kind of acc- accumulate things you know like bodyboards surfboards motorbikes lots
0: uh, of adventurous things yeah
1: diving i did mm-hmm. my dive master uh, so i'd I really like the sea i like being under the water um i started doing triathlons and i like expensive bikes <laughs> No kind of bike. Just like carbon fiber right, racing yeah, yeah. bikes with drop handles and, and, and ceramic disc brakes, um, those Sound kind of fun. things. So I do like being active. I think that's that's kind of a big thing for me.
0: And the city lends you kind of the opportunity to be very active. And it's one of
1: the advantages of, mm-hmm. you know, you can. We, I can get up on a Sunday and, and, and go and th- do three laps of kind of Bondi with, with some friends of mine and, and, and swim. Kind of backwards and forwards, which seems pretty mental. As someone who kind of grew up in East London, that you can get, you'd, you'd actually get up at purposely get up at five am to go for a swim in cold water seems oh a bit strange. So that's kind of good, and I like to travel. So you know, even a year ago, uh, a part, uh, my partner and I, we we kind of took ten months, kind of I say off. We didn't take it off. We just went travelling for ten months and tried to work as we went. So I lived in Canada for three months. Uh, We kind of spent three months travelling around Europe, three months in London, um, and then kind of came back just before COVID hit. So we were quite... We we were lucky from a timing perspective because we'd spent a year almost travelling exclusively and then got locked down for a year, so... It was, an in, yeah, it was an interesting experience.
0: And th- I think maybe it was through that experience you kind of discovered a little bit more with photography, and you got into that a little bit more. Where, where did that kind of interest come from?
1: Yeah, that's trip That's very true. Well, th- well, you probably had a hand in that as well. I think to a certain extent. I think you. I think I was getting you to try and uh, explain to me what an ISO or something was on the camera <laughs> one day.
0: I can't even explain that. No. <laughs>
1: um, I think being around creatives, partly it was, I think it was, it was a natural thing of being interested in different skill sets and going, oh, I know how to do a bit of this. I know how to do a bit of this. And photography for me was, is always something that I've kind of wanted to be, be able to do beyond a point and shoot kind of camera kind of thing. Um, Used to work with a lot of fashion photographers and, um, or stills photographers from projects that we were working on. Um, and also, be, uh, as a journalist, who used to go and write features, especially when I was travelling, I'd like the the ability to be able to shoot my own.
0: That's a big st- bonus, isn't it? Shoot my own stories,
1: mm-hmm. and so I, w- I was lucky enough to, to kind of do that for uh, the Financial Times when we were away, when I was in when I was in Canada, I went and shot a bunch of people, and um, for for a, a few of their kind of Sunday supplements. Mm. Uh, and, and so it's been a nice skill set to be able to kind of be humbled by the fact that you're really bad at something and try and get better. Mm. Um, and it also gives me kind of a creative outlet that's not being dictated to by clients or my own business structures. That's um, important to have, I think. It's which is It's kind nice. of that
0: thing that is just your own and not have to monetize it necessarily.
1: Exactly. And know? people keep asking me, going, oh, are you going to turn this into a series? you like, no, no. It's, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's a creative outlet for me um and it means that and also i think there's there's still that journalist inside of me that likes going to speak to people um and so there's a series that i'm kind of doing which is an ongoing uh, series which is kind of artists in their studios and it just kind of gives me an hour and a half a week to go and kind of talk to someone about their work Mm. what they do what they're interested in take some portraits that are kind of candid on the cuff minimal lighting, just using natural light and kind of take it an hour and a half out to just kind of meet people that you wouldn't normally do or people that you kind of see on instagram or friends of friends mm-hmm. um yeah and that's a, that's kind of a nice hobby outlet for me it also gets you traveling over the city a fair amount i end up in all kinds of around up in the blue mountains up in canberra um obviously a lot's around maritville in the inner west where there's a lot of studios um and you kind of build this little kind of cool network of creatives that isn't yeah it's completely separate to kind of my working
0: life mm. it gets you out of your comfort zone i think and it's that thing of i mean i know whenever i do interviews or whenever i do shoots it's kind of i always get this big boost of inspiration from their stories and kind of just kind of wakes up things again and i always get excited so
1: that's nice and it also gives me uh i i um i i can i'm constantly looking at looking at things hmm, yeah. so like photographs or videos things i like and then i i kind of want to try things out and it gives me an outlet to kind of purposely do that it's quite hard to get your friends to do things but you know like last week i signed up to a greg williams um he's got a skills faster course so greg williams is a he's a really amazing photographer that kind of shoots on um, that usually has four likers kind of strapped around <laughs> to him and he does all like the uh, the red carpet award shows and he gets oh these amazingly man. candid photos mm. of ridiculous people in you know Gary Oldman swinging from a chandelier at the golden goes backstage he's got I don't know like Brad Pitt winking at him from about thirty centimeters away. He's kind of this kind of industry inside. and so, on. so I've kind of and been it, doing this. And you need to have that
0: kind of that personality, that kind of be able to get your subjects to kind of work off of you as well. Exactly, He's great at that. And so it? I was like, "Man, for
1: forty nine bucks, is the guy's going to tell me how to do it." <laughs> so, this is what a steal. It was seventy nine. Got you massively see. targeted by like Instagram ads. It was great. Um, and and he's got like a ten minute course, which you know is, is pretty low fire. But he kind of goes through his approach, what he does, his little tricks of the trade. Yeah. You know how he lights subjects, what he looks for. I mean, some of it's kind of industry standard stuff of you know key lights and lighting from the back and trying to get sort of atmospheric cinema. Uh, but he does these. He's got these great tips of how he goes. Oh, when I sit before I see someone, I, I kind of have my camera and I'm, I'm I'm not giving them my eyes. So I'm trying to sort out my settings, mm. and I know that I want to shoot that. I want to get their recognition at. 1.5 meters. So I'll look at them. I'll keep walking to him and walking to them. They're kind of ca- trying to catch my eye. And then as soon as I'm ready, I'll be like, bang.
0: Yeah. So
1: he's like, he comes in and that's kind of you're like, wow, it's amazing. It's all these little tricks that he does that kind of gives you those things. And so then,
0: much more than just the technical stuff. It's all about kind of the way you work it. Exactly. Cause
1: right? you can go, you can go with the YouTube videos of like, you know, guys who work in camera shops that absolutely they're technically amazing. You look at their shots and you're like, yeah, everything's in focus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's a bit <laughs> oh god yeah like
1: oh Jesus, or, or it's something like a coffee cup they're just they're, they're like you know practicing the technical yeah, aspects but he's he talks about you know grungy moody shots and he's you know he shoots lots of stars in his shot esquire covers and stuff but yeah. you know if he's like my shots are a bit blurry sometimes they're not you know the eyes are dark the lights in the are kind of the wrong place but they kind of say something mm. and that's kind of a nice i, I do like they Talking, looking at other people and talking about other people's kind of creative work gets me pumped.
0: Yeah, I hear you. All right. So final question. What's it like to be you right now? What's life like for you? Oh. Good, bad, Yeah, I'd say medium. it's good, man. It's good, yeah. it's
1: good. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of being a master of your own destiny, so I've kind of, for, for good and bad things, so, you know, it can all fall over because mm. of you, but it can all go up because of you as well.
0: You take responsibility either way for that. A hundred percent, and I
1: think it's about trying to, for me, it's just about trying to surround yourself with people that you kind of want to hang out with and work with and, and, and kind of trying to build a life that kind of interweaves and interplays with each other so that you don't, I don't feel like I have work or I have... Um, I have work one day and then I have no work the next mm. day. It's kind of every day's work and every every day's fun. Um, and my partner kind of does the same thing. She's a writer, she's a creative, she makes podcasts, she does. So it's kind of, that's that's kind of what my focus is at the moment. It's like, how can you try and aspire to build like a, a life that keeps you constantly interested? Mm. I definitely don't know if I had the answer to that. but
0: uh, I think that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? <laughs> In some form or another, it's kind of... How you just kind of keep interested and keep going, especially at
1: the moment. I think travel is a great it's a great thing to have, but it's also a thing that distracts you quite easily because you can look at it as you know, oh, I'm going to go on holiday in three months' time, Mm. Mm. that will be great, and you're like, well, what are you doing between now and three months? Uh, Just uh, looking uh, forward to going to Bali. Like it's like, let's like, what can you do in between? So I think we're in an environment. Good
0: observation. I've yeah, it's the same. It's kind of I've always had this other thing that's kind of I let kind of that middle time just go to waste and it's like no like (laughs) every day kind of be something new working towards something happen you know yeah god you (laughs) know we'll see how it all works you never know you can start a podcast in a bathroom well exactly that was kind of the thing i'm like i I usually wait to kind of get a a sponsorship opportunity to kind of do with the podcast but i'm like no i just want to kind of i stop and i want to wait for something i just want to kind of go for it and I
1: went for it so. yeah, no, yeah. And his bra- and the bathroom yeah. does the job and this will be these will be one of the stories that you tell people in 25, 30 years time I started a podcast in a in, in a where tiles were falling down <laughs> in a cubicle that sometimes you know. was a, I mean that's the kind of stuff rather than I went on you know I went on I went to a Hilton for a week and a half and it, was, it cost me seven grand <laughs> yeah
0: exactly and this was definitely um, bootstrap <laughs> yeah that's no, cool I think that
1: yeah that's the thing and that, that's, that's what you kind of want to fill your life with I think
0: yeah all right, jack thank you so much i appreciate it you're welcome thanks for listening to men in this town the podcast produced by Mitwork work and recorded at pocket studio in sydney if you enjoy this episode please feel free to rate and leave a review wherever you're listening and as always thanks for your support